Oh, the sacrifices I make for you. Getting up at four o'clock in the morning to go on live radio to answer your questions. I'm Jimmy Thompson. This is the Flat Chat Wrap. If you've heard me on the James Valentine show on ABC 702, you'll probably know that I don't mind doing a bit of radio. Not so keen on getting up at four o'clock in the morning to do it, though, but that's exactly what I did Oh, just the other week uh, to go on Rod Quinn's show overnight on ABC uh, to go on a segment that he calls Talking Points. On that, people from all over Australia, literally, uh, called up with their questions about their strata, schemes, their neighbours, whatever. And it was interesting to hear how the same things seem to affect people regardless of where they live. Now, about halfway through this recording, you'll hear an ad voiced by me about my tour to Vietnam. That has got nothing to do with the ABC. Uh, it's got nothing to do with Rod Quinn's radio show. Uh, I just stuck it in there. They probably don't even know about it. It does, however, provide a nice little breaker in the middle of the, the show if you want to go and make a cup of tea or whatever. Right, here we go. Coming up, I talk to Rod Quinn on ABC Radio. This is a podcast from ABC Radio Overnights. I'm Rod Quinn. Now, if you live in some parts of Australia, you'll notice that your town, your city or your suburb is changing and not always for the better. Where once stood houses on quarter-acre blocks or two-storey blocks of flats or theatres, clubs, supermarkets, well, on those places now stand huge apartment blocks. Some are more than 30 or 40 storeys high. They very quickly have changed the face of this country. And the more we get squeezed together in our suburbs, the more we need to get along with each other. And that is not always easy. There are often disputes. But for those who want to be part of a community, apartment living offers that as well. But there are new problems, like overnight Airbnb guests who don't care how they act in your home or building. There's smokers on balconies and even worshippers with incense that wafts into your living room, whether you like it or not. With more apartments comes more traffic, and that affects the whole suburb, not just your street. And recently we've heard about the Opal Apartments in Sydney, a new tower that residents were forced to leave on Christmas Eve when huge cracks appeared in the building. The builders, the owners, the developers, the government have been arguing about who is responsible for that. Jimmy Thompson from the very popular flatchat.com.au website, also he has a weekly column in the Financial Review, is our very special guest on Overnights to talk about high-rise living. Jimmy, good morning. Good morning, Rod. How are you? I am I no longer live in a flat. I have <laughs> lived in two different flats. And, you know, there's a lot of advantages to living in a flat and uh, there's the occasional drawback as well. <laughs> Let's start, though, with the most controversial thing in the last little while, and that is the Opal Tower issues, mm. defects. How, do we know even how old that building was? Well, I think I think it's uh, people only started moving in last year, so it's only a matter of months old before the the cracks literally appeared. Mm. Um, it's you know it's basically brand new. 
Um, and, you know, every building, I mean, I, I remember, well, as far back as I can remember, that, you know, you would have settlement in buildings, as they used to say. This is not the, the settlement where you hand over the money and they hand you the keys. But, you know, buildings would settle, but th this shouldn't be happening on the scale it happened there. So I'm not asking you to appear as a witness uh, in any court case, but generally, not necessarily talking about the Eiffel Tower. Who's responsible for this? Once you've bought into it, someone's built it, someone's owned it, someone's sold it to you, someone mm. has, uh, has, has certified it as being safe. Who's yep. responsible for this, generally? Well, that's, that, that's the the 64000 or probably $64 million dollar question um basically if the the developer the person who sold you the building is responsible for having sold you a, a, a an apartment uh that's uh, you know is is fit for purpose um the the, the builder is responsible for having sold the developer a building full of apartments that are fit for purpose when things start to go wrong and everybody starts running for cover you then discover that those responsibilities just kind of evaporate. Um, and it has been tested in court here that although there's that chain of responsibility, the builder doesn't have a responsibility to the apartment owner. So who um, does? the? Well, that, that's the thing, who does? And so far it's very hard to prove that anybody does. Um, so if, if, for instance the uh, developer disappears out of the chain, as they often do in small developments. Um, you know, you get kind of fly-by-night developers come in, build a block of units, and then disappear. Um, the the owner can be left high and dry if something goes wrong. This is the sort of thing we see not in Australia. We see blocks <laughs> of flats fall down, whether it be Europe or Asia or yeah. South America or Africa or somewhere. We assume it does not happen here. So one of the changes that's happened really in the last decade or so, or maybe longer than that you can tell us, is about certifying it. That it used to be that uh, the council, local council generally, would have certifiers that would go around and say, mm. yes, that's right, or no, you need to change this. Now a lot of that is done privately. How's mm. that changed things? Well, it's, um, I mean, it's beyond a joke. I mean, it's, it's very wrong what happened um, after the Opal Tower uh, cracking appeared where suddenly everybody's pointing their fingers at the certifiers and saying, you said this was okay and it's obviously not, therefore it's your fault. Well, no, it's not the certifier's fault. It never was the certifier's fault. The system uh, as it works in Australia generally is that your certifier quite often never sets foot in the building. The certifier will sit in an office and he will get a piece of paper from the plumbing contractor. And on that piece of paper it will say, I have done this job adequately. And he, and you, you, he or she certifying it will then go, all right, I'm going to tick that box. The plumbing has been done adequately. And what they're basically doing is shuffling papers. So the idea of somebody walking around in a hard hat with a clipboard ticking off things, kicking walls and leaning on doors or, or whatever and checking door handles, that just doesn't happen. Why? Do the, when did that change? Why does that happen now? Well, it, it changed when there was the big um, apartment building boom that first started probably back in the, the uh, 1990s. 
um, and where there just weren't enough certifiers around. And the developers uh, did a deal with the government that they would provide the certifiers and, and basically saying, hey, look, if anything goes wrong, obviously it'd be deeply embarrassing to us so you can trust us. Um, and lo and behold, they couldn't be trusted. Mm. Uh, and you had a ridiculous situation. Um, there was a building on the North Shore of Sydney that uh, had gone up uh, the developer certifiers came along and, and said, yep, this is all good. And then the council, council still have to issue a certificate of, occup of occupancy. And they came along and looked at the building and said, this building isn't fit for habitation. So you had the, the, the certifier and the developer saying, yep, you're ready to move in. And the council saying, well, we're not letting you move in. So people who had bought their apartments there had to live in hotels, I think, for about two or three years. Unbelievable. Although, sadly, very believable. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Thompson's our guest. Now, I will point out that anything that Jimmy says is of a general nature, especially when answering questions. And, of course, <laughs> in your own situation, you must get specific advice for your own situation. But we do... Uh, welcome anyone who would like to talk about uh, problems or give observations. A couple of calls to start with Leo yeah. in Darwin. Hello, Leo. Yeah, g'day, Rod. Uh, how are you? Very I, I, well. I, I rang earlier on, yes. and after I hung up, missed the quiz question, I come to me straight away, and I should know because I've been in those days. All right. No worries, Leo. You got a question about apartments yeah. or some thoughts? I've got many, but I'll stick to one. Yeah. Is I've just moved into an apartment complex. Um, and there's six, uh, uh, there's probably 30 units in the block I live in, and no, my neighbours are also in blocks of 30, and there'd be six of those buildings as well in a very narrow yeah. residential street. Um, the, the, uh, the issue is uh, we've got security parking, um, and uh, the security gate is wedged open most nights and remains open, because the, above where I live, there is 12 people living in a two-bedroom unit. Oh, dear. Um, right. And whether they're running Uber or not, I don't know, but they come and go all night. Uh, the gates mm. are just permanently left open or wedged open. It's been broken, okay. et cetera, et cetera. And, right. uh, and you want to know what you can do about it or is... Oh, no, just, well, it's an issue that... Okay, uh, all right. Yeah. yeah. All right, Leo. Thanks, mate. Jimmy. Hi, Leo. <laughs> um, I'm taking this as uh, this is Northern Territory, um, which, well, the first thing you have to uh, realise is that uh, strata law um, across Australia is different in every state to the, the extent that it's almost like whenever they sit down and write the laws in one state, they look at the other ones and, and go, now we've got to make this different. Um, and, and so it's very difficult to keep track of how things are in different states in, and, or territories, indeed. Um, this is a question, you know, you've got, you will have something in, in your building which we used to call the body corporate and in some areas it's called the, the owner's corporation. And that is a management group um, of the owners of your building. And they have a, that group um, has a responsibility to maintain the building and maintain the way people live as well. So your first thing to do is to go to them and say, look, our car park is no longer secure. Can you mm. stop these people doing it? 
by whatever means. And also this, this apartment is quite clearly overcrowded um, and that's something you can go to council about. So you're dealing with, on the one hand, you're dealing with your, your own little council for the, the, the block, but also, you know, the, the local government council will have restrictions on the number of people who can live in, you know, a two-bedroom unit. Leo, have you tried that? Uh, oh, sorry, Rod, I didn't realise that I was still online. Yeah, you're still with um, us. No, well, yeah, all those uh, answers are, and the... the the problem is they've got one, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the button you push to open the gate. There's one button between all the people living there, and that's the reason that it happens, if that makes any yeah, sense. Okay. And, right, I, yeah. and I believe that there's... Uh, uh, look, I'm, I'm not talking about nationality, but there's a lot of Uber drivers living in our street. And there seems to be cars coming and going all night. All right. Well, that's something that you can't necessarily do something about. But if you are worried about the security, because you don't want your car damaged if it's parked downstairs and that gate is open, then start with the Estrada uh, committee. Get on that committee and get something done. Peter is in the Hunter Valley. G'day, Peter. G'day, mate. How he's going? Yeah. You want to talk about standards of construction? Yeah, well, there's, there's a phone in building standards as well as your local council's one, but they have to yep. refer to the... And, I mean, there's various... You know, there's material testing and stuff that... You know, everything that goes into a building's got to be approved, particularly mm. high-rise stuff, the steel, the concrete. Um, I've only seen the stuff on TV in regards to that, but that concrete's substandard. I mean, concrete doesn't collapse like that, unless the foundations are, you know, are completely crap. Uh, that it means that everybody's sinking in the ground and there's overstress, but that's just, mm. so the so the people who've constructed it, the people who've overseen the construction of it, are in breach of bloody construction. Okay. I mean, oh, they've, yeah. they've got to come back to say that they haven't, and this ducking and weaving that people yeah. want to do. I, well, I think can I, if I can jump in here, Peter. I mean, uh, you're, you're right up to a certain extent, but if you look at the the building that we are we are not specifically talking about. Um, that those those elements that failed were prefabricated off site, so you've got an issue there. Um, uh, there there's three parts to this: there's the design of the building and the and the design of that element of the building. There's the prefabrication of that element, that wall or, or whatever, and then there's the installation. Uh, any one of stage, any stage something could have gone wrong, any or all stages. It could have been that that, that thing was, that wall was designed and it wasn't designed properly. Or it could be that it was designed perfectly well but it wasn't constructed properly. Or it could be that this perfectly adequate piece of this, of Lego um, to go in the building wasn't installed correctly. And at any one of those elements could be what caused the problem, and that's what they're looking at right now. Are we right in thinking that this is quite literally the tip of the iceberg? If it's happening in one block of flats, then surely it must be happening in many others, not just in Sydney but all over Australia? 85% of buildings in Australia are reckoned to have defects. Now, those defects could be and we're talking about new buildings, um, those defects could be as small as, you know, door handles that co don't quite fit, or it could be, um, you know, the, this, the foundations falling away and, and causing serious cracks uh, in the, the structure of the building. But there was a survey done by the University of New South Wales about five or six years ago, and uh, they, 
there was reported that 85% of buildings reported that they had defects in the building. Unbelievable. Are we wrong in thinking that it was better in the old days, that they that there was more effort made, that the uh, quality of the material was better, or, or are we looking at it with rose-coloured glasses? Well, if you... <laughs> I mean, the first apartment blocks were built by the Romans, mm. and uh, ironically, in those days, um, the, the rich people lived on the ground floor and the poor people lived further up in the penthouse um, for the simple reason that there were no lifts, so they had to climb ch- stairs. Yes. And if there was a fire, the rich people could get out quicker. Um, so things have always been there, but they've always changed. Um, I think that the, you know, the older buildings are, were almost better by accident because of the the way they were constructed and the way they had to be built. They didn't have the 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 level, the materials, and and the understanding and the computer generated designs and all the rest, where they could have these fantastic buildings that went so much higher and and were quite in, elaborate in their designs basically you were talking about you know two brick walls holding up floors kind of thing um okay. and now you've got a, a a very different kind of design where like the opal tower you've got a central core carrying all your lifts and all the the uh, floors fly off that and and basically hang in midair mm. um with well, hopefully walls around the outside that do enough to support them. But the tolerances, um, the, mer- the error for, uh, the, sorry, the margin for error is much smaller than it used to be. All right, Jimmy Thompson is our guest from flatchat.com.au, also writes for the Financial Review. He would love to talk to you, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Daryl, good morning. Hello, Rod. Yes, what's on your uh, mind, Daryl? Well, I just had a disaster happen up where I am in the last year, I suppose. They've just put 20 single-bedroom units uh, opposite me, and they've taken away three lovely little homes that were there. Someone's made profit out of all that, I presume. And underneath the uh, the buildings themselves, other than the, the walkways between these buildings, it's concrete. The whole yard oh. is absolutely... It's, and then underneath the buildings, it's... Uh, I'm, uh, it's like a when it rains, it's a, a swimming pool. Mm. Uh, if you can imagine just the square of the building underneath it, it's about 18 inches deep of nothing, and that fills up with water. I don't know what's going to happen there, but over night time, more my point is I've got about 20 of those movement lights that come on, and it's, uh. like, it's like living in, in Mascot Airport waiting for 747 to come in. It's <laughs> absolutely no say in it whatsoever. Oh, and that's, yeah. that's the, that's the thing that used to happen here, Rob. We used to yes. have a, a sign out the front that was you were able to object to any of the the developments or anything that went on, yes. but now we don't. Okay. We, we don't say anything. I'll get uh, Jimmy to comment on that too. So, yeah, tell me about if somebody is going to build, say, 20 um, flats across the road from where there used to be three houses, or maybe they're going to put up a 30-storey block what rights do you have as a resident to stop that sort of thing well um, theoretically the rights haven't changed much although i seem to recall about 10 years ago um the government was getting frustrated with uh, people exercising their rights to object to developments just like the one we've heard about um and so once a development had uh, reached a certain value then 
um, it, it could be decided by the Department of Planning um, rather than the local government. You know, they, to, to a great extent, they took the big developments away from the small local councils. Um, the problem, the problem was that in some areas where it, even the council didn't want these big buildings, um, the developers were getting very frustrated and. And you know, there's, if we're going to have people living, more people living in cities, then they have to have somewhere to live. Um, and and as you were describing in the intro, you know, things like the spaces above railway stations, you know, which are are, are seen as wasted space uh, now. Uh, you're now you when they plan a new station, they're planning the high-rise apartments and offices that will go above it. So the planning process has has changed in that the voice of individuals um, has been diminished to the point where it's almost unheard. Um, you, you almost have to get on your council um, these days if you want to stop a certain kind of development. But, but even, even then, that doesn't matter because then, you know, someone goes to the Land and Environment Court that just overrules you yep. and the developers we know have state governments in their pocket because they give them so much money. So in the end, the people and then the councils have no say whatsoever. Well, exactly. And this is where um, it's causing a lot of frustration. Um, certainly here in Sydney, you know, that there, people are saying, well, how come in some areas of the city we are, you know, yeah. chock a block with apartment blocks and in other areas of the city they can't put up, yes. uh, you know, a three-storey high building without council marching along and, and saying, no, there's no way this is going to happen. Mm. Jimmy Thompson's our guest. Uh, George, good morning, George. Uh, good morning, Rod. Good morning, Jimmy. Uh, yeah, just uh, apropos uh, the uh, problems with the Opal Tower and the structural problems there, um, I was just wondering what the latest story is with what seems to be the forgotten problem, which was the uh, flammable cladding, which yeah. obviously was so spectacular recently after the Grenfell fire, and obviously near me, because I live in the Bankstown area with that uh, the apartment in Bankstown, which had the rather tragic consequences, because I, yep. I know that you look around, you see it everywhere, and it, it seems to have fallen off the radar, this story. So just wondering what the latest is, and if there's any okay. buildings, apartment buildings still going up with flammable cladding of some sort. Good point. Okay, so how bad is this in Australia, Jimmy? Well, it's it's hard to tell, and and the problem with flammable cladding is that, uh, well, you know, here in New South Wales, the the government has first of all they've they've sent told councils to go out and identify the buildings that might have cladding, and then those buildings, and we're talking about the owners' corporations, the strata committee, have been told to check whether whether or not they've got cladding, and the most recent thing is that they've been told to register with the government that they, whether or not they have cladding. Now, the big part of this is moving towards is where the poor apartment owners have to say, you know, you, you have a legal responsibility to make your building safe, safe and secure. And they will eventually be told by the government, you've got to start putting your hand in your pocket to fix this problem on your building. The owners the individual apartment owners are quite rightly going, hang on, we didn't ask for this stuff. We didn't design the building. We didn't, you know, tell them to put this dangerous material on the building. How come we're going to have to pay? And the answer is because somebody has to, and 
the government. They're not going to be us. It's going to be us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, now, the question, I, I get quite um, exercised about this because we have had a flammable cladding fire in Australia, which was the La Crosse building in Melbourne, um, which the, the, that was about three or four years ago. So people are getting uh, jumping up and down about the dangers of this fire, and everybody looks at the the tower in uh, London, which went up, and um, and all those lives were lost. And people have extrapolated that argument to every building in Australia that has flammable cladding. We've had a flammable cladding fire here, at least one, in an apartment block, and guess what? Nobody got hurt. Nobody died. Why was um, that? Because there were sprinklers inside, right, okay. which they didn't have in the Grenfell Tower in London. They didn't have um, other measures to, re- you know, to deal with the fire. Most of the buildings that are going up over a certain height are, are um, you know, they've got sprinklers. Ironically, the other building that was mentioned by the caller um, was the tower in Bankstown. Now, that was built deliberately to a specific height that meant it didn't have to have sprinklers throughout the building uh, with tragic consequences. Oh, but most buildings need them. Yes. Most buildings All are told to have them. Need them. Yeah, and, and so we're, we're doing this belt and braces thing. You know, right. okay, flammable cladding is obviously not a good thing. But there are other, but, you know, every government has kind of totally panicked on this and said, we've got to take, we've got to take this off all our buildings. Oh, and, but when we're saying we've got to take it off, you guys have to pay for it. And of course, by the, for most buildings, the developers have sailed off into the sunset long ago. So it's not their responsibility anymore. Mm. All right. Uh, Theo is next. Hello, Theo. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for taking my what I wanted to raise is, in my local council area, council approved a development which is for 47 storeys, whereas the height limit is a, is a, about half that. Yeah. And that's for over 1,000 uh, sky homes, so to put it. Yes. And the paraphrasing the mayor, it was the, uh, the best thing since sliced cheese, so to speak, for this development. Now, the community effectively pays for it. In, in paraphrasing his word, the developer will pay some money to council. Now, in my view, the land value of that extra that extra 500 units that supposedly have been approved by council, why doesn't the developer pay the council and the local residents who effectively have to pay who effectively have to bear the costs of this overdevelopment, such as, for example, uh, the local public schools, the lack yes. of uh, parks. If mm. they paid the land value, for example, for the extra, say, 500 units, at even a measly 50000 a unit, there'd be enough money there to be able to compensate the community for the extra costs uh, borne by this, over, this gross overdevelopment. All yeah. right, Theo, thank you. So why does this happen, and we hear of it so often, that council has given approval for uh, a block of flats of a certain height, next thing you know it's twice as big. Yeah. Uh, why? How does that happen? Well, basically there's a negotiation goes on um, whereby the developer says, look, to make this, this viable for us, um, we need to have, you know, 
20% more um, apartments, 20% higher um, than we'd originally planned. But we realized that we're breaching your basic standards. Um, so we will compensate the entire community by giving you money, let's say, for a park. And you might go, well, you know, that's kind of reasonable. But then you find out that the park is going to be two miles, two kilometers away from yeah. the building. So it's not like we're saying we're going to put this huge building here, but there'll be a nice park beside it so local people okay, are being overshadowed. On, I still don't understand why they can use this argument, though. Oh, well, you know, we're not going to make enough money out of it, therefore we've got to put more on. If you cannot make enough money out of it, you're just not going to build it. How about that? Well, there's well, you know, then there's the push to um, increase the, well, there's the, oh, the constant pressure on uh, on accommodation in our cities it's interesting though right now that the uh, now that the property market is heading downwards i mean there's just a story yesterday about a development of 130 apartments in sydney where um they've only sold 69 of them and the other 61 have been taken over by the the receiver mm. um because the developer can't can't pay their bills. So they'll be knocked out a lot cheaper, do you think? Absolutely. And so all those people who bought the original flats are going to be living next door to someone who paid half the amount. Well, I mean, half the amount is literally what they're offering uh, for apartments, not even in the Opal Tower, but in buildings next to it. People are coming Mm. in and and underbidding by that much in the hope of picking up a bargain. Well, uh... That's uh, the way it goes, of course, uh, you know, is that uh, the market value will determine how much you pay for it. Janet, good morning. Oh, good morning to you. I live in Newcastle, and um, in the last four to five years, perhaps, Newcastle cityscape has changed completely. Yes. We now have, I don't know whether you've been here recently. Yes, I have. Oh, um, yes, it is, it is disgraceful what they've done to Newcastle. The whole cityscape has changed and the sky's the limit. At the moment, they're building new, what they call Newcastle West. They've taken the railway away. Oh, it's a disgraceful the, decision. The, exactly. Taken the railway away, put a, new, a, a campus through the part of the university in Newcastle. There's no parking anywhere. Parking the uh, people who live around that area in, called Cook's Hill. Mm-hmm. There's no parking. It's impossible. For the, for the residents and also anybody visiting is just impossible. But down at Newcastle West, what's going up now are 30 storeys high, two buildings 30 storeys high. No regard for heritage, just knock it down, knock it down, bring the bulldozers, knock it down as quick as you can. And the railway line doesn't exist anymore. They're putting put in this Mickey Mouse train for 1.7 kilometres, which goes just up that far and um, half that distance and back runs back around like yeah. a circle and, and taken oh it, it is unbelievable it is it is ridiculous and for those it, who don't know it, but it, the the train line there where they ripped it out and put in another it, a light rail line it was totally ab- unnecessary absolutely 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 and the thing is people had we had we had people of newcastle had no say in this it was between the developers the council and the state, because the state owned the line. And as quickly as they could get those lines up, they're up. All along there is going to be built. They've run... All along the harbour front is 
high rise. Now some some uh, apartment buildings which were built several years ago were about ten stories or so. Yes, eight, and now the sky's the limit. Yeah. All right, <laughs> Janet. Thank you. Now, thank you very much for that, Janet. Newcastle is a classic example of what's going wrong. Jimmy, do you think the councillors or people that approve this ever look, go back and look at these and think, yeah, I'm really proud of what we did because that has ruined... Newcastle is a city that's a classic example of everything that's going wrong in modern government. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm sure there are councillors somewhere who... who, uh, well, they might look at their own house and their car and think, yes, I've done very well here, before they look at our houses and and, and how we get around. Um, yeah, you, you, get the, you get the politicians that you deserve, they say. Um, it's yeah, but true. when both sides are the same, what, what option do you have? Well, exactly. And, and, uh, and people tend, they tend not to get involved. But, you know, we, we're being very negative here. Um, there are areas um, I, I think of the uh, the, the 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 ride from the city Sydney City. It's a bit early in the morning for me. Sydney City Centre to the airport, and there's a huge yep. development of apartment blocks on on the on the side of the road as you head out there. Now, if you actually get out and and wander around there, some of those some of those developments are fantastic. Really, it's you know it's a community. There's shops, there's cafes, cinemas, all sorts of things there. And you think this this wouldn't be a terrible place to live. Now, mm-hmm. a few blocks away, you're in blocks that are just crammed together, and there's no facilities. Um, and the urban planning that should have gone on hasn't even been considered yet. It's just somebody's come along and said, "I've bought these this plot of land. Can I build as many apartments as I can here?" And the Local council and the state government are both going. Yeah, go for it because we need homes for people. Um, young people can't afford to 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 buy their first home. Um, I mean, ironically, they then hand over apartment buildings to um, Airbnb and other yes. short-term letting uh, organisations and say, "Oh, if you if you want to have this residential apartment um, as a holiday rental, go go for it." But, you know, that, that's one of the quirks of modern government. But, you know, the, the problem is that at the planning stage, first of all, is the original plan, does it make sense? Does it, has it taken everything into consideration? And then there's all the, the distortions of the plan that come along. So taking the railway, I mean, I remember the first time I drove through Newcastle, I couldn't believe that there was a railway running yes. through the middle of the town. And they, I thought this is—I've never seen this before. Not in a big city, and Newcastle is a big city. So when I heard that they were moving the station to outside the town centre, it made perfect sense to me. But then I heard that they're putting in light rail to replace the railway, and you think, what? Why? why are they even doing that? That—that that doesn't make sense. Um, and, that, and then we have the situation we just heard, where you've got the worst of both worlds rather than the best. <laughs> Hi, if I can drag you away from the trials and tribulations of apartment living for a moment. When I'm not editing the Flat Chat website, I'm also a published author of both fiction and non-fiction books, a screenwriter, a university lecturer in literature, and a travel writer. 
Using that experience and some fabulous books and movies as our guides, I want to take travelers to the Vietnam that I know and love. I'll be using real-life locations to bring some of my favorite films and books to life for you as we travel through Vietnam on my romance and intrigue tour. It's going to be the trip of a lifetime, and it will be luxury all the way. To find out all you need to know about this unique experience, click on the ad at the foot of the Flat Chat webpages, or email me on mail at jimmythompson.com and ask me a question. Okay, thanks for listening. Back to the podcast. Jimmy Thompson is our guest from flatchat.com.au, also writes for the Financial Review. Adrian is with us. Hello, Adrian. Hello there. Maybe in Newcastle they think they're trying for some Melbourne tram charm or something. But um, <laughs> Well, I think the thing about light rail, of course, is there are probably more stops. It's easier to get on and get off. You know, heavy rail, everyone's against heavy rail, at least government is. I can understand why light rail is put in in places where there's no rail, but when there's already a train there, just... Oh, heavy rail bullet. can transport heavy things that it might be needed of whatever mm. type. But anyway, we've passed the sweet spot of modern design possibility of cheapness, of globalisation of design materials and who's purchasing these. We've passed the sweet spot a long time ago. And the Grenfell um, Tower disaster in London with that horrible new cladding and the people using their phones trying to call people and flash them and they still... They still, you know, went asunder. They needed old technology like ropes, three metres per floor. You can tie it to a pillow or your bed and shimmy down. The strong people can alert people to get all their mattresses and from surrounding buildings. I don't think that was a, quite, to be honest, I think that's a ridiculous... Well, I would have rope if I lived. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, if you're up the top of that um, building, though, that's... You're not, not going to be going down you. ropes. Especially when the building's on fire, Adrian. I think that is... Uh, uh, that doesn't help anyone to make that suggestion. Uh, Emmanuel, good morning. Oh, good day. Yeah, my uh, question is: um, I I live uh, in a local area in the southern Sydney, and um, there were, there have been developments here, left, right, and centre, with these huge high rises. Uh, I want to talk about the peculiar interest that these councillors have in these developments. So, as an example, one councillor. On, I won't no name names of person no, no, or no, council. No, no, no. Thanks, Emmanuel. <laughs> Hang on. One councillor has built three large, you know, ten, fifteen-story developments. Can you? Can your? Uh, can your? Uh, uh, Jimmy is our guest. Yeah. All right. Uh, good point, uh, Emmanuel. Thank you. So, Jimmy. Yes. Yep. I mean, we have seen there's been famous cases all over Australia of councillors. Basically, I don't know whether they walk out of the room when the rest of the council discusses this or whether they are part of it or whether they've hidden it or not, I don't know. But you have councillors who find the easiest way to get their things passed, these developers, is to get on the council and vote yes. Yeah, um, and the most prominent example of that that uh, I can think of is now languishing in, in jail at Her Majesty's pleasure. There's mm. a few of them. They get caught. Um, not all of them, surely. Not all of them, no. They definitely, definitely not all of them. Um, but they do get caught out, um, especially if they, they stick their heads above the parapet too far and, and start going, look at me, aren't I wonderful? Um, but yeah, you know, the councillors will walk out of the room when their uh, their plans are being proposed. and But they know that the people who are in the room 
are going to vote for them because yeah. when it comes around time for their development. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so well, they make deals. Yes, you can get your park, or you. Can, I'll vote for you on this thing if you vote for mine. You know, and basically the 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 simplest idea would be for the government to come in and say, you know what, if you're a property developer, you can't be a councillor. If you want to be a councillor, stop being a developer. But then you've got to also look at you know, family members who might be developers yeah. or friends. I mean, it goes, you know, beyond just, yes, I agree with you, but at the same time, then there's uh, what other people are precluded from uh, from working on council as well. I want you to also tell us a little bit about some of these communities because what I've noticed in some blocks, not all, is that they will have a supermarket or something on mm. the ground floor or a mini-mart or something like that or a restaurant or something like that so yep. that at least there is something for the community beyond just a block of flats. Yeah, I mean, and this is the... It was something I was thinking about the other day because when they're, they're building the, the new blocks of apartments, they do put retail spaces often on the ground floor and they can partly because they can make a lot of money out of that. Um, but those uh, facilities are the last things to be populated, almost. You know, the, the, you, they wait for the first person might move in. It might be a yes, year yeah. before the first shop or, or cafe or whatever opens up. And I, and I was thinking, if, if the government was seriously interested in building communities, and I seriously doubt if they are, but if they were, they should be saying to the developer, we need you to subsidize these businesses for the first six months mm. when the building is only half full. Put some money into the little cafe guy coming in and, and you know, so that he can afford to lose a bit of money for the first few right. months because he's going to become the hub of your community, the guy selling his hot coffee and croissants in the morning. Mm. Um, that is where the community will meet and people who don't particularly want to get on basically have to get on with each other. That's how communities work. Jimmy, we've barely touched the surface here, but there is one other thing which I'm sure is different in every state, but um, and that is Airbnb. So mm. that has in some ways destroyed communities. Absolutely. The original idea was a great one. Hey, you've got a spare room. You can rent yep. it out by the night or the week or whatever. Great idea. That's not what it is these days. It's turned no. into alternatives to hotels. Uh, it's made um, you know apartments far more expensive. It's destroyed small towns or coastal yep. areas as well. What should we know about how that operates in Australia? Well, you know, you're right. It's different in every in every place. I mean, we have had the case of uh, Tasmania where they basically said, "Yep, you know, this is going to be terrific for tourism." Uh, so anybody who wants to to rent their their house or their apartments or let their house or apartments go ahead and do it we think it's terrific and then within a few months the government was offering subsidies to landlords to put their apartments or houses back into the residential rental system mm. um, because because most because Tasmania is such a, a tourist based place most people were going great I can make 50% more um, of my property by putting it into tourism. And so the residential market was just evaporating. So that, that's an extreme example of what happens. In, in Victoria, um, the government has basically said, look, go for it. Um, 
apartments you know all these these problems that that appear in apartments when you've got party flats you know a bunch of guys yeah. they rent an apartment for the weekend because the football's on or whatever and you know any disruption that uh, happens to the people who live there permanently well that's just too bad that's modern life um and there is an undercurrent in this that if you choose to live in an apartment that you've already chosen a, a, a second-rate form of living so you deserve what's coming to you um in, in New South Wales, we almost had exactly the same laws, and and then there was a rebellion uh, within the, the the Liberal coalition mainly, where they a few MPs said, if you put through the, they, I mean, when I say almost, they had the microphone stand literally set up and plugged in and ready for the minister to come and say we're going to have the same laws as Victoria, and. And there was a rebellion, and a couple of MPs said, we'll cross the floor uh, rather than let you do this to apartment blocks in Sydney. So now apartment blocks are when this law finally comes in. Individual apartment blocks can pass a bylaw saying no uh, short-term letting here. And, uh, of course, our friends from Airbnb, those two young guys who started with literally with an airbed in their yes. flat in San Francisco, well, their successors in the company are jumping up and down and saying it's undemocratic and blah, 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 which mm. is nonsense. So, you know, it's evolving. Um, I think it, eventually uh, uh, Victoria will come back and go, what have we done to our, our communities here? They, I'm told the rise in, in uh, lets in... Um, Airbnb style, because there are other organisations that do this. Uh, holiday lets has gone up 75% in Victoria in the past year, whereas the growth in New South Wales has started to decline. But there are some, you know, you take an area like Coogee, um, 2,000 whole homes mm. in the Coogee area um, that are now only available as as uh, holiday rentals. That's 2,000 homes. Well, that's that's um, 20 apartment blocks that are no longer available as residential uh, homes. Yes. How how can that not have an effect on house and, and rental prices? Let, let, and that's not even without talking about the disruption that happens to all the people who bought an apartment, believing you know. And there there it says on the the development approval, this is residential only. And you thought, well, I'm buying, I'm buying effectively a house here, yeah. and then the and then the, the government changes the law. It's a bit late to get the genie back in the bottle, or possibly it will. Um, but you know, the dream would be every flat was an owner occupier, wouldn't it? Well, you know, the buildings where that happens at the moment, um, you you're uh, you're going to get in New South Wales. You will get people passing these bylaws and uh, restricting uh, holiday rentals in their buildings, and they'll be fine. The problem is where you have um, 30%, say, and, and this is probably the majority of buildings in, uh, in, in across Australia, apartment blocks, would, would this would apply to them, where you have 30% or more um, apartments that are owned by investors. Um, and they can... It's all very well to say, yes, you can have a bylaw blocking 
holiday rentals. That bylaw requires a vote of 75% of mm. the people at a meeting. To block a bylaw only requires 25%. Yes. Now you can see immediately uh, uh, an aggressive campaign by the, the holiday rental people sure. within a building could prevent bylaws coming in anyway. Well, uh, a friend of mine uh, lives in a block, uh, a very old block of uh, flats, and the rule there is that uh, you cannot let it out uh, for a year after you bought it. Wow. So, you know, that stops people coming in and immediately doing it. Uh, yep. You know, buying it as an investment, yes, they might buy it as an investment, but they've got to live in it or leave it empty for a year before they can let it out. Well, here's another thing that's happening already in uh, Victoria because Victoria has basically just thrown the doors of all apartment blocks open. Um, in luxury or high-end apartment blocks, you go to buy in a nice apartment block, um, you know, more expensive apartment block overlooking the Yarra or whatever, and you get there and and part of your sales agreement is that you will not ever let this apartment as a oh. holiday let. So the developers, because yeah. the people with the, the, the money to buy these really very attractive apartments are coming along and going, well, we're not, we're not buying an apartment in a nice building and spending top dollar on it if the guy next door is going to turn it into a holiday flat. Exactly. We're going to have to leave it there, Jimmy. We're about to hit the news. I thank you very, very much. I think we need to discuss this further, closer to the election, when perhaps the negative gearing uh, uh, laws may be changing. And that <laughs> well, that's change a whole other well, mess, isn't indeed. it? Indeed. Jimmy, thank you so, so much for getting up so early to talk to us, and uh, have a great night. Thanks for Good having day. me, Rod. Good Thank to you. talk to you. That is Jimmy Thompson from flatchat.com. And that was another podcast from ABC Radio Overnights. I'm Rod Quinn. Thanks for listening. I have to say, time absolutely flew while we were doing that. I apologise for the audio quality. That was the, my problem. That was my phone that made me sound like I was talking from the bottom of a well. Really interesting to talk to Rod. He's a really nice guy. Now, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe so you can get it coming to your device, whatever you're listening to it on, every week. And we will try and get one to you every week. Or, meanwhile, you could go to the Flat Chat website, which is flat-chat.com.au. Talk to you next week. Bye.